You're listening to So You Want to Be a Photographer with Gina Militia, one of Australia's leading portrait celebrity and lifestyle photographers. With over 25 years' experience in the industry, Gina is a pro photographer who regularly travels the world shooting for some of the country's top magazines and advertisers. She is author of four best-selling books on photography, runs workshops and mentors aspiring photographers all around the world. In conversation with journalist, interviewer and budding amateur photographer Valerie Koo, Gina reveals what it takes to build a successful photography business, provides a sneak peek into life behind the lens and talks about her tips and techniques to get the perfect shot. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 355 of So You Want to Be a Photographer. My name's Valerie Koo, and I'm here with Gina Militia. How are you, Gina? I'm great, Val. How are you going? Back in lockdown there up in Sydney? Yes, now the tables have turned and it's Sydney's turn for lockdown. Uh, But yeah, it's not really that much difference to my life. So that's kind of okay. Um, And it gives me a chance to focus on all of the things, you know, the the books that you're meant to read, the courses that you've meant to be doing. I've been consuming um, a whole bunch of um, content. I have been obsessed with this new television show called Lux Listing, (laughs) which for, you know, North Americans, it's um, like selling Sunset or Million Dollar Beach House or, you know, any of those um, real estate reality shows. And I initially thought, look, this isn't going to be as good. I don't know why I thought that, but it's fantastic. The (laughs) producers have done a brilliant job. You know, they've cast it perfectly and it's real estate porn really because you get to see inside some absolutely spectacular houses in uh, it's set in the eastern suburbs of Sydney but um, anyway that's what I've been up to Uh, but I'm very very keen to get stuck into this week's episode which is the best ways to improve your photography skills because of course we all want to improve our photography skills so I'm keen to unpack that but what have you been doing lately because you're not in lockdown no and it's just the business as usual here and I've also seen like uh, up in the sort of uh, you know northern hemisphere as well they're in Enjoying their summer and yeah. getting out and about. So that's really lovely to see. And people are taking holidays and really enjoying that. So we're watching here with great envy and hopefully, fingers crossed, you know, we'll be able to do the same thing at some point. Yes. So, yeah, so I've just been uh, busy shooting and I've been doing some lux uh, listings of my not, – not, not listing but in, in beautiful, gorgeous apartments uh, around yes. Melbourne. So um, uh, that's yeah, been You were shooting in a $20 million apartment. Yes, a $20 million 20 apartment. Million. I mean, what does a $20 million apartment look like? In Melbourne, um, well, you've got panoramic views. Uh, of the entire city it's they're large and luxurious and like I was just obsessed with all the little details like uh the the the, just all the little things that they think of that you at that at, at first glance you don't think oh that's not very luxurious but then you go oh no that's real marble and oh no that's the, the those fittings are amazing and it but like I think the 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 and then walking through the car park, you're going, that's a Lamborghini, that's a Bentley, that's a Rolls Royce, you know. So yes. it's just amazing. So, But when you're doing any, like when you're in anybody's home, you want to be super, super careful that you're not scratching up their floor because you don't want to be yeah. that photographer. So, you know, you, yeah. we're super careful to make sure that we – uh, cover the the bottoms of tripods and things like that with uh, stoppers. And I think the the best thing I've yes. seen and most film crews use is you just get tennis balls, have a collection of tennis balls in your kit. And if you want to have like you want to be able to move your tripod around uh, the, and without scratching floors or things like that, you just cut an X into the tennis ball yeah. and then put the tripod uh, the legs of the the tripod, the, the tennis ball onto the legs, and then you've got like you've almost got like this way that you can you know move the the light stands and tripod legs beautifully and smoothly around these surfaces without doing any damage. 
Uh, so yes. yeah, and it's not just the floors. I remember doing a shoot at a very a famous person's house, who I will not name, and um, the photographer, who was not you, uh, so the photographer and I did the shoot. And because it's not just the floors, because sometimes, you know, tripods are heavy yeah. and they um, you can just swing one around and knock a hole in the wall. <laughs> yes. Or you can just not, you don't even have to swing it. You can just somehow scratch the wall, which obviously a tennis ball doesn't help. Uh, and we got sent the bill. Yeah. We got sent the bill by the guy we were shooting. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, you've got to be super, super careful and make sure that, you know, you, you respect the homes that you're going in because, you know, these days a lot of uh, particularly – a lot of photographers are doing the majority of shoots on location. You know, that wasn't the case many years ago, but definitely the case now. So you want to make sure that all your your gear is uh, set up to not ruin floors, you know, and even like uh, carrying um, drop, drop sheets like calico sheets and putting yeah. them down on the floor to protect everything. And I think the clients really appreciate it when they see you doing things like that. Yeah, yeah. All right, so we have a shout-out to Anna Hughes who asked a question in the podcast listener community. So uh, if you haven't yet joined the podcast listener community on Facebook, make sure you do. It's free to join. Just search for So You Want to Be a Photographer podcast community on Facebook and request to join. We'd love to have you in there. It's so great to see different people from all walks of life, from all different countries. But Anna has asked... Hi there. This might be my first time posting. I enjoy Gina and everyone in the group. I wanted to know what's the most efficient way to deliver photographs to your clients or what service you use and why. That's a really good question. Gina, before we get stuck into this week's topic, shall we tackle this one first? Yes. So, uh, when Anna asks this question, delivering uh, photographs, I'm assuming it's file delivery. So that's what I'm basing my answer on. So uh, th there are a few ways you can do it. And it depends on, I guess, where you are in, uh, in whether you're starting out as a photographer or you're perhaps, you know, moving into professional photography or an established pro. But uh, there's a few ways. So first of all, there are lots of uh, free file sharing services and I've used all of these like WeTransfer, Dropbox, Google Drive, SendSpace. There's probably another half dozen that I could name. And so what, what's good about these is they're kind of free. So as long as you stay within the um, the upload, the, the storage limits. So I think with Dropbox, you get a gig uh, for free. And then after that, you've got to pay uh, might might be wrong on that, but it's something like that. And Google Drive give you space, and the other ones have a certain limit. They're easy to use, so you just send the send the files away, and uh, the clients get a link, and they click, and they download their files. And so, uh, really easy for beginners starting out. So. The disadvantage of something like this, not as professional uh, looking, so and uh, it's. Uh, you you take up space on the hard drive because it's uh you know so Dropbox when you use that once you add the files to Dropbox it'll take up space and same with um, Google Drive as well. Do you use any of those, Val? We we use Google Drive to communicate between each other. But like, do you use any of those for file sharing? Yeah, so I use um for uh I use Dropbox, I use Google Drive, uh I use WeTransfer because yeah. um I have to be sent photographs every week for some of the stories that I write. Yeah. And it's interesting how savvy and how unsavvy mm. <laughs> some people are in transferring um, shots because you've got to remember also that sometimes you are as a photographer you are sending shots to your client but sometimes your client needs to give somebody else access yes. to those shots yes. so it needs to be an easy way for them to be able to um, give access to to whoever it is it, it, an ex, an, a third party um, and one point that I wanted to raise with this is a labeling um, your photos correctly because uh, I, Gina has a whole protocol on this in the gold community which you can have a look at but I was I received some some shots just um, just last week just a few days ago and I had to do so much back and forth because it was of a um, 
you know, speaking of lux listings, <laughs> it was it was of a real estate property, and the I I have been spending a lot of time um, writing about this particular property, which was I'm just going to make the, up the name at the moment. So let's say Twelve Smith Street, but the photographer had labelled everything Smith Road. Oh. Now. The thing is, that's fine, it's an innocent mistake, but it required so much back and forth then to clarify what was actually correct. So, and it's just a waste of time and kind of makes me think, gee, that's real, really no attention to detail, that photographer. Yeah. Um, which you don't necessarily want in this industry, right, in, if you're all working in the same industry. So, you know, just take that extra time and extra care to ensure you're not writing the wrong thing if you're labelling your photographs. Yeah, and, th- and there's so many photographers that don't even bother and they'll send you a file that says 3A2X47.jp. Oh, drives me bonkers. <laughs> or, do you know, because I, I get sent photos every single, you know, almost every single day and I get sent a folder called photos. Yes. Ridiculous. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> if you want to check out my uh, workflow protocol uh, in, in the podcast, you could check out the episode called Workflow Just Got Sexy and I list how I uh, rename all my photos. Uh, it's w- worth worth checking out. So the other way that you can send clients uh, images is to use a, like an online client gallery. So these are yeah. s- something that you pay for. So a lot of portrait uh, wedding photographers use something like pixie set or shoot proof or pix pix but there's a whole heap of them so uh the the client can just click on the link and see all the images it's efficient because you get to upload and download all the images at once rather than one at a time and you can um can share and download the images so uh, much more streamlined and easier and professional looking, but you've got to set it up and it costs money. So obviously the more professional you want to look does involve uh, investing money. So I think if you're just starting out, something like uh, Dropbox or Google Drive or, or SendSpace works and as you're getting more and more professional and starting to earn money, I think it's worthwhile checking out some of the f- uh, online galleries as well. And my favourite way, the, the other way to do it is if you want to involve uh, postage is to use a USB stick and that way I guess you can sort of label the uh the USB with all your details, but then it involves the extra cost of couriers or postage, and it's not as fast, obviously. So if there isn't a, you know, if the client isn't in a, a great hurry, then that's also a good way, good for branding, etc. My preferred way of delivering images to my clients is I use uh, a. Uh, a service photo shelter is uh, at, on the back end of my website and that's where I have all my archives. So everything that I've shot over the last, I think, 13 or 14 years is there and uh, it's personalized. So it's at genomilitia.com. The client goes there. They'll get a link directly to that gallery. It's password protected and uh, I've got unlimited storage in the um, the account that I have. And I can just send uh, people that link and that is all they get access to. They can't see any of the other clients because often a lot of the work is is confidential. So I don't want everyone else, uh, you know, sort of looking around there. I can watermark the images and I can also control the size that they download. So I can, I can restrict li- limits like they can only download low-res watermarked images or if the client has already paid, then they have access to download high res images so that's a, a few different ways that uh, you can uh, and it serves as a backup files. for you as well what's effectively. that photo shelter serves as a backup for you it's as a backup well as being it's all my work is there yeah. it's so mm. handy because i can be Fantastic. anywhere in the world and get a phone call it's got because this will yeah. happen clients lose the oh, files because yeah. i say yeah. to them please download mm. please keep two copies because I, I don't legally have to keep these backups but i do no right Mm. Um, and so, and that they'll say, we lost them and we need them and we're going to prick, you know, can you get them? And yeah. I can have that link to them in seconds. Yeah. That's you great. Know, it's that I easy. love it. Yeah. Yeah. 
Fantastic. Okay. So um, now those protocols are within the gold community. Uh, and if you want to have a, ha- find out a little bit more about the gold community, have a listen to this. This podcast is brought to you by the gold community. If you want to take your photography to the next level, I'd like to invite you to join my gold community. I love mentoring members and many achieve so much more than they think is possible. Here's what Frank Romano had to say. When I called you and and you were gracious enough to to humour me and something magical happened that night and, uh, you know, uh, when you just showed me two or three things, my mind just went boom and I just said, yeah, this is this this is it, away we go. And um, the flame's been uh, roaring ever since. You know, I get up at six, uh, you know, six six thirty every day, and I would spend at least half an hour to an hour every day uh, learning uh, some mm. some skill, either a technical skill, a creative skill, uh, online listening to, uh, or you know, going through your uh, your tutorials. I've been through your tutorials many many times, again mm. and again and again. Um, so, so. It's, it's, it's really uh, identifying, you know, and I think there's a lot of people out there that, you know, aren't clear, well, you know, why, why are you actually doing this? What's your intention? And they're not totally focused and committed on that, but if you're totally focused and passionate about achieving that intention, then you'll focus your attention on those areas and, and you'll, you'll uh, achieve or you'll go looking for the skills. If you'd like to find out more about the Gold community, head to ginamilitia.com and click on memberships. All right, so let's move on to this week's topic, the best ways to improve your photography skills, because there's really so many different things you could do. Yeah. Yeah. You need to, I guess, figure out the one that's best for you. What are the, what are the options? All right. So the good news is there's never been a better time in history to learn photography because it's like the art of photography because there's so much information out there. So we've got this market that's flooded with different, uh, you know, there's tertiary courses, there's books, there's workshops, there's websites, there's podcasts, online courses. So, and most of this stuff wasn't around, you know, as little as, you know, 10 years ago. So, and it's just getting more and more and more. So, when I started learning photography, and this is over 30 years ago now, there was a few options. You could go to uni and university or and do a course, or you could do an apprenticeship or an internship with a photographer, or you could try and teach yourself. I did a combination of all three. And it's just a matter of finding the best way that um, works for you. So, but I think um, what you've got to remember is finding the best way that works for you because it's like what might work for someone doesn't necessarily work for you. So it's all based on what your learning style is. And I think, Val, one of the most Uh, underrated skills is learning how to learn. Now, you're a great lover of learning. Um, Mm. What do you think about that, the the learning how to learn and how important Mm. it is? Because there are some people that just want all the information sort of given to them, but then they don't really do much with it. And it's sort of that that I see see how – like I've watched you develop in this art career that you've got now and it's like that curiosity but there's more to it than that but it's just that willingness to have a go and then you I think you are a great at a great learner and a lifelong learner Hmm. yeah I think that it is important to learn how to learn (laughs) or or learn the way you learn best because I think a lot of people make the mistake of just because you have access to the information that somehow it's going to <laughs> through osmosis get into your your bones or something but access to information is one thing um consuming it is another but then putting it into practice is a whole other thing as well and some people yeah. uh respond differently to different types of learning so yeah you're right 
Yeah. So I think one of the most important lessons that I've always applied to my learning, and I've certainly learned this as well with you, is about implementing systems for everything. And I have really strict systems and protocols when it comes to um, my photography. But um, one of the biggest mistakes I think that a lot of people make because there is so much information out there you know if you want to be like I reckon if you wanted to learn how to become a rocket science you could scientists you could learn about it online and go I'm going to build my own rocket and know like you can advance yourself same with photography but the problem with this is I think a lot of people rush the learning and and skip all the really important early steps and go straight to the end. And I think this can hamper learning because if you go straight to the end and all the sexy – and, of course, everyone wants to go to, the, you know, the sexy stuff. It's like when you're learning a musical instrument, no one wants to do the chords. Do you want yeah. to do the do, – do, do. Mm. everyone wants to learn how to play, you know, something by Bach or something amazing, <laughs> some rock song, but no mm. one wants to do the, the, the early stuff. Same with photography. No one wants to do those drills, which are really important. Everyone wants, just wants to go to the seven-light setup, all yes. right? So, you know, I'm very big on peeling potatoes before you make the souffle, so doing it in yes. a stepped approach. So – when it comes to education, it's understanding that there isn't one size fits all because if, if that was the case, you'd think, okay, well, this is what everyone recommends. I should do this course and then you watch the course and you don't understand any of it and then you feel like, oh, well, it's your own fault. And it might be that you, you're just the teacher that's teaching that course isn't speaking the right language. So I think it's really important to try out um, different educators, different genres until you find that person that speaks your language. And I've certainly done that because someone can explain something to me and I found that out very early in my career when I couldn't understand Photoshop. I had someone telling me how to do it but in a very technical way and I couldn't it didn't make any sense to me and then someone else just came along and explained the same thing just in a different way and I went oh my god that makes perfect sense so this comes down to what your learning style is or your preferred style of learning so you can um most people are a combination of all of these learning styles, but you could be a visual learner. So a visual learner is someone who learns best by seeing something demonstrated. And so you want to see photos, maps, and diagrams. And so for someone like that, you 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 get a lot out of watching a how-to video and then reading blogs and 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 things like that. So that all supports your learning style. Or you might be an auditory learner and so these people learn through listening. So you listen to a lecture or an audio presentation or um, listening to podcasts or audio books. I love listening to podcasts. I love listening to audio books and that's a great way for me to learn. Or kinesthetic, which is people who learn by doing. So you prefer to um, have have someone show you and then you're hands-on with your learning. So you could be any one of these three. Do you know which one you are? Hmm. I uh, don't know. Probably visual mm. or I don't know, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Mm. Well, you don't need to have a think about it and uh, – uh, I I like um, I can't see I, I don't have a good concentration span so often uh, if a visual presentation like lectures at university I used to struggle with that that right. sort of thing but I can if I can do a menial task like say going for a walk and listening to um, information mm. then like listening to a podcast mm. it often um, it'll stay with me and the other thing to remember and I'm a big believer of this Val is like when you hear 
the information you need to hear at that time, it stays with you forever. Yes, so true. I've had many aha moments when I'm being ready to hear that and someone has said it in a way that I understand and you go, oh, my God, and everything just comes together, whereas it might have been two years earlier when I wasn't ready to hear that information, it doesn't make sense and it doesn't even register. So there is, there is a time uh, and a place uh, to learn the different stuff that you need to know. All right. Yeah. So um, you want to also um, consider the, 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 the way that you learn. So you might be the kind of person that likes to learn as part of a group so that you've got that accountability. So I know that when I went back to uh, to the gym after I, I took a little break, I, I've been, you know, and I had my second child and then I decided I want to get healthy and I just didn't have the motivation to do it myself. So mm. I got a friend to come along and be like my accountability partner. And, right. and the fact that I don't like to let people down and it was late at night, so it was, would be really easy. It's very easy to pike on a, a gym session when yeah. it's 8 o'clock at night and you're really tired and it's cold outside. But when you know that someone is there waiting for you and you're going to let them down if you don't go, you're going to go. So often people who, if you need that social interaction, then you might be better off learning as part of a group so you can have that accountability buddy and we have in the podcast group and also in the goal community I've seen many many relationships that have developed over the years where people have paired up or gone in groups and gone out on and done shoots together where like one one person might be grappling with lighting the other person might be grappling with uh, posing and then they get together and combine, pull their resources and also pulling resources in gear and learning together. So you've got that uh, accountability uh, thing. So there are other options as well when it comes to learning. So let's let's just break down what I think of the different options that are out there, Val, and I'd love to hear your opinion as well. So you've got the traditional, which is yes. structured learning where it's like university or college or any tertiary degrees, photography diplomas. So what's so good about this style of learning is you get to um, – learn a whole variety of photographic styles and it's in a structured environment. Mm. So often the lecturers have been doing this for many years and they will start you from start to finish and it's um, you've got experienced uh, teachers and often they'll bring in industry experts. And so the other advantage of this is you've got access to in many cases, like state-of-the-art equipment yeah. and studios that you can work in and you get the latest cameras and you get access to lighting equipment, uh, accessories rooms. and software, dark rooms and all of that. So, And it might be that you think you're into a particular genre. This is how I got into photography. I had no idea I wanted to be a photographer and I was introduced to it as part of my uh, bachelor of education. It was one of the the the, um, the components that the modules that I had to do, and I'm like, oh my god, I really like it. I mm. like this world of photography. So it, it, it's a good way to uh, dip dip your toe into all these different sort of genres of photography. So you might think that you want to do fashion, and then you suddenly discover product photography and go, oh, wow. And particularly if you've got a, a mentor or one of the lecturers is specialized in that area. Mm. So that, that can help as well. And you've got the, if you're the kind of person that likes the, the socialness of learning as part of a group, this can be a great environment because you've got all these other peers who are just like some of are a little bit ahead of you, some of are a little bit behind you, and that sort of environment uh, suits a lot of different people uh, to work with. So the downside, obviously, is in most countries in the world is the expense. So university, yeah. tertiary, all of these, it's not free and the cost can be quite prohibitive as well. So tens the time of commitment. thousands of dollars. And also you have to go on certain days when the lectures happen, okay? Mm. Uh, and so that's hard. Although when I did uni for <laughs> – 
You didn't I go to the lectures? <laughs> I don't know how I managed to do this. I just had huge cojones, I think, at the time. This little 18-year-old who made an appointment with the dean of my university, and I'll just say his name was Dave. I said, Dave, this timetable's not working for me. Oh I have God. a full-time job. I had a full-time job, so I was working my way through uni. It's not working for me, Dave. He was just so shocked oh that God. someone would walk into his office and I said, so I've had a look at the timetable. I've rearranged it to suit me a little bit better. So what I want to do is you take me out of these classes and put me into the – and he did. Oh, my Three God. years in a row. <laughs> I know. But – that's not the case and it's like I, I don't know that I would be able to get away with that yet. So you've got the time commitment that you have to go on certain days and also these universities uh, and um, colleges are often in located in big cities. So if you live um, far away, then you've got to work out whether you travel or you, you have to move to another city to do these courses. So um, that can be a big factor. So I think you want to think about if this style and investment is suited to you and before you invest all of that time and money, you want to thoroughly research the school you're thinking about and find out who the teachers are, who the past students are, and um, have a look at uh, what access you have to the equipment. So, like, are you allowed to use the dark rooms on the weekend? You know, is there extra cost involved? And what uh, previous students are saying about the course? What did they get out of it? And was it is it worth doing? So, you know, before investing all that money, I would definitely um, check out the school and thoroughly, uh, work, you know, investigate all of that and previous students as well um you got anything to add to that Belle? oh I think that pretty much covers it I think that that is obviously an option but no doubt you're going to go through some more practical yes. options <laughs> of course so the other one uh, that you and and harder to do in this day and age but it's still possible is assisting or internships and so uh, or an apprenticeship kind of thing so it's and it's often overlooked and I think it's a great way to learn I learned so much being an assistant for I did it for about two or three years about two years I, I so I worked for a few different photographers and one I worked for full-time and what it is, what it teaches you, and, and this is why I said at the start uh, at, in the intro, it, there is not just one way. I don't recommend you just go to university and then you go, all right, I'm ready, I'm ready to take on the world because there are holes in the way that universities and tertiary educations uh, teach photography because often uh, the, the lecturers might be out of the uh, professional photography industry and they're teaching you all everything that you need to know in terms of how to light but they're not teaching you um, sort of the latest skills and you're not sort of learning the business side of photography and the sort of the practical side of photography on the job so that's where working as an assistant from being an assistant, I learned how to, how to work with clients, how to how to actually properly pose and direct. I learned that from being an assistant, mm. and I also learned about uh, how the business works. And I had I got a really good first hand idea of what the actual best uh, pricing structure was as well in photography and then also all the little things that you need to know about uh, working as a, a full-time photographer so it taught me a lot and um, I think it's a, a real it's something worth considering uh, it's it's not easy to break into but it is doable so I recommend that if you want it and you should get, try and get as much experience with working photographers as you possibly can and by doing that it, it involves actually finding out who's in your area what they're doing and then maybe just reaching out to them you can do it easily now by uh, via social media and you yeah. don't just hit them up at the start maybe try and be uh, useful and valuable at first on social media share their work uh, comment on their posts uh, give them uh, useful advice. Uh, I think someone wrote in uh, a few years ago with a great tip was if you 
notice that a photographer is going to be in your area, then why don't you uh, send them a list of, uh, you know, great restaurants because you happen mm. to know that they're vegan or something like that and also send them a list of uh, locations because you're yeah. a local, you happen to know that, hey, there's this really great underpass that if it might be raining when you're doing the shoot, this is a fantastic place to shoot. Yeah. The light is great between 4 and 6 p.m. It's also really good early in the morning if you want to check that out. So these are all ways that you can get your foot in the door and have an opportunity to assist. And if you were just at the very start of your career, I would recommend that you assist every different genre that you can. I worked with food photographers. I assisted fashion photographers and product photographers. And it's really good to see how everyone uh, works with their lights, works with their clients, and everyone's got a different way of doing things. And then you've got the opportunity to cherry pick um, uh, the different things that you really like and also make note of the things that like, oh, I didn't like quite like how they do do that. So do, have you had any experience with internships or assisting roles, Val? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, not so much in photography, but in anything that I was particularly interested in, I did the equivalent of a um, – you know, of, of an internship or assisting. Yep. And it's not something that I necessarily did like even when I was at school. I did it as an adult. I did it when I was yep. already in senior positions in other areas, but I had a new interest. So at one point I remember um, I uh, just decided I wanted to really, really delve into the world of script writing so I thought, okay, you know, and I did short courses and stuff, but there's no better way than just to be on the ground and, and you know, be an extra pair of hands in a script writing room or whatever. And I, I contacted my favourite TV show. <laughs> <laughs> and basically said, hey, I'll do this. <laughs> and um, they kindly agreed. And so I got to, you know, basically hang out on my favourite TV show and watch it being filmed and watch the scriptwriters at work and it's such an invaluable process to be right there. And I think the thing is the key, the key moral to that story is just ask. Yes, don't be afraid. My father always used to say that. You don't ask, you don't get. Mm. So in, in bringing that back to photography, one thing that you can do is you can ask your local photographer they might be a wedding photographer not so much can I trail you I want to learn everything from you pick your brains and then be your competitor down yeah. the track because a lot of a lot of photographers are a bit wary of that and I'm going yeah. to shoot over your shoulder and generally be annoying all day yeah. it, really important value add so mm -hmm. uh uh, you can uh, you can contact them and say, "Hey, I'm really strong. I make a fantastic coffee. Uh, I'm really good with people. I will happily come and just carry your bags and mind your gear while you're shooting. And then you want to make sure that you're super useful on set and great to have around because if you are, they're going to invite you back, yeah. and you could." actually land a job so don't be yeah. that annoying person on set so just say I'm going to have a lot of questions I won't ask you now but is there a time that it's okay like if I email you a couple of questions I just like you know why did you put the light there when you were or why did you say that there is a time and the place and most most photographers are pretty generous with their information and prepared to share it, just not when they're in the in the middle of a shoot. So there are ways and I, I have... But hang on, um, Gina, do you really think that you would appreciate somebody to, to, who, who would say, can I email you later as opposed to ask you with words coming out of my mouth? No, no, find a time to ask. and It was my, you know, the, the point there. So, like, not when they're actually in the middle of it and, and, and trying to get the shot done. So just trying to be as respectful as possible when you're on set and not bombarding them with questions and also, you know, making sure that you're useful and, 
uh, anticipating what the photographer might need, like, oh, hey, I noticed everyone was really uh, looking really thirsty, so I've got, I've got bottles of water for everyone, yeah, or I noticed right. that that light was about to tip over, I've put uh, some sandbags there. If you're that kind of person, you are easily going to be able to pick up work as and an assistant, and there it, is a shortage at the moment. And touching on Gina's point, yeah, uh, ask them their preferred method of, you know, being asked questions, because yes. if somebody emailed me, I would tell them to go jump. Yeah, right. Because you expect me to <laughs> type the answer back? Dream on. No, 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 no. So call me or ask me on the uh, after we finish, that's fine. Yeah, but it's like, no, I, d- I don't want to email the answer back either, Val. So it's a good point there. But I also don't want to sit in the car on my way to a shoot and be asked a thousand questions. So I just, just want a- silence. Just ask for yeah. their preferred method of, you know, um, you, you asking them questions. Yeah. Exactly. All right, so another really good way to learn photography is to do workshops now. Absolutely. Not all workshops are created equal. Oh, my God, no. (laughs) (laughs) And I know you've done a lot. Yes. But so... The advantages of this is you can actually pick the exact genre that you want to learn. So if you are really interested in food photography, then you can find a food photographer whose style you like. This is important. It's pointless going to um, to a workshop if you don't even enjoy that style of photography. So you find a style a photographer whose work you really like and and um, you you go to that that workshop. But when I say that all, not all workshops are created equal, there are like I've seen this kind of two different ways to do it. So, A, you want to look at um, the numbers of people that are going to be at the workshop. So, I have seen workshops where they're run where there might be, say, a few models, but there might be 50 participants. Now, the kind of the advantage of that for you, the photographer, is that you're going to get uh, – it's going to be cheaper. So, you know, uh, that that's an advantage. Cheaper the advantage is – than doing it in a smaller group where there might be four people or eight oh, people. I see. So, but being as part of the, a big group like that, you're not going to have direct access to the photographer to ask the questions that you want to get, and you're not going to have that sort of one-on-one time. So, I think if you're trying to learn something like uh, I've done large workshops where there's like 30 of us in a room where uh, to, to learn Photoshop and that's mm. pretty good. It's intense, but it, it doesn't really matter. You can just put your hand up and you can be that annoying person <laughs> who keeps asking questions, but good on you for getting your money's worth. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it works for doing learning about um, editing software, works really well in the larger groups. But I think if you want to learn hands-on, like you want to learn about lighting and directing and and things like that, I I prefer the smaller groups. Now, within that structure, what you want to be finding out is what is actually, what is the, the workshop about? Because I see, and I think like a lot of camera manufacturers do this, but there is a lot of um, workshops that are popping up where you can go as a photographer, they will provide the model, they will provide all the lighting, the photographer will light the shot, the model will look amazing, the whole shot looks amazing and what they do is you kind of you line up you come up to in front of the model and they hand you a um a transmitter for your camera so that it triggers all the light and basically all you're doing is the photographer has lit the shot for you yeah. you are photographing what the photographer lit so fantastic Fantastic for your Facebook feed. So you could then go home with this beautiful image and you share it uh, with all your Facebook. Like I just did this workshop and look what I did. But the problem is, and anyone who, um, who, who shares images like that from a workshop, the first thing I say to you, I'm like, great. Can you now recreate that at home with mm. the gear that you have? And most often it's it's a it's a flat no. So mm. these sorts of workshops are great if you want to just build up your folio with pretty pictures, but you also want to be able to back that up with knowledge. So the workshops that I prefer are smaller size and then that you want to read the testimonials and you know, if you can even have get access to past students. 
what did you learn? And and so, like what what I like to see in a workshop is the first of all there is discussion of okay this is my preferred lighting I like to put the light here because and then all the reasons why you do that and it's not not trying to bombard you with too much information but it's like it might be a couple of different lighting styles that that it is taught in a way that you are able to bring whatever lighting you have you can then go home and easily recreate what you've learned. Mm. What's been your experience with workshops, Val? Uh, well, here's a hot tip for anyone who's thinking of writing a workshop. Um, I uh, had done a, I did a photography workshop. Well, actually, I mean, I've done several photography workshops, but I did a particular photography course. This was before the gold community existed um, because otherwise I would have just gone straight into the gold community. But some years ago when I did this photography course, which was like, I reckon it was 10 or 12 weeks. I can't remember, but it was 10 or 12 weeks and it was very expensive very expensive, um, you know, and there was a lot to it, which was fine because so, so it was value from that point of view and it was it was also darkroom work. It was the whole thing, right? And on week three, um, the main teacher decided to hit on me and <laughs> so, yeah, after, after no, after the class Hang and on. I was so Just uncomfortable. Oh my god! That I didn't awful. return, which meant I paid all that money, <gasps> and I didn't, and I only got like my three classes kind of thing. So I paid a lot of money, which for something that I didn't end up doing. <laughs> Wait, so mm-hmm. okay, so you were obviously a lot younger then. Yes. What would the adult Valerie do now if that happened? What would you do? Um, I would not. I I would return. I'd, I'd go yep. back to the class because it wouldn't have I, – I'd, I'd be able to handle it now. But back then, yeah. yes, it was a while ago and, yeah, it was just awkward, oh. uncomfortable, but now I wouldn't let it phase me. Um, I, I would go back and soak up the learning. Yep. So just don't I'm do that so because you never know who you're going to get and whether you're going to make them feel uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> Hot tip for the day. Um, That's probably not what you were expecting. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, just make sure. Um, so yeah. So so really investigate what what the workshop is because you want to have access to that lecturer, or the the person, uh, or in your case, is lecturer. Um, you want. <laughs> see what I did there. Um, but you want to have access to the teacher and make sure that like you've got the opportunity to have some one-on-one time yeah. and also to, because. Not and that also kind of be one-on-one to, time. No, no, no. But to, to, in but his I, defense, I will say that when I didn't turn up on week four, he did ring and say, hey, you know, I hope I didn't make you feel uncomfortable, blah, blah, blah. Uh, so he acknowledged it. But it had already made me feel uncomfortable, so that oh, was obviously mm. ew, gross. Mm, yeah, gross. Um, yeah. So you want to have a professional one-on-one time, the opportunity to ask questions, and also to to be able to uh, learn at your own pace. So if you're the kind of person that likes that group in- environment, I think workshops are great. The other the other thing you can do is. Um, if you're a traveler, and this is what I love about workshops, so let's say you wanted to go to uh, South America, and but you, you know, and and you want to go and and shoot there, but you, you're not quite comfortable or confident enough to go on your own, then you can jo- join a workshop. So it's yeah, a great way great. to to travel and learn at the same time. Mm. And the, the 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 thing I love about is you can actually hire like a one-on-one guide or be part of a smaller workshop, say like you you know you were going to India for the first time. You wanted to get these great images, but you're not familiar with the location and you don't have weeks and weeks and weeks to, to, to um, hunt for locations. You join one of these uh, these workshops and then yeah. you get access to the to whoever's running the shop will have years and years of experience and, and be able to take you to these amazing locations. So I I think uh, workshops can be a lot of fun. It's a great learning environment. But again, you want to 
really investigate who's teaching, what sort of experience, have a look at their work, have a look at the student's work and then uh, make your decision from there because they can also be quite pricey but the, you know, the good ones you'll come back with just so much knowledge. All right, so uh, next we've got uh, online courses. So obviously, uh, you know, with COVID in the last few years, we've mm. just had an explosion of online courses. So again, same as the workshops, there's some really good ones out there and there's some, you know, ones that are a bit iffy. So it's kind of a way, I guess you can sort of get a sense of what the online course is, but like most of them will give you um, an introduction, like you'll be able to have an idea, but you can also read the testimonials. And again, it comes down to, is this person that's teaching this course speaking your language? So you might be um, really um, sort of science-minded and you need the facts and the figures and the numbers and all of that, and that's important to you to help you understand the subject, then that's the sort of you need to find the the person that speaks in that language. If you need lots of little diagrams and, uh, you know, everything described in great detail and, uh, you know, that might be your preferred learning style. So it's just a matter of sort of finding the way. It's it's always good to use um, other people recommending the course, you know, and uh, it is a good way of uh, finding out if it's any good, but just testing those, checking out those testimonials as well. Have you got any tips for finding good online courses, Val? Um, I think that uh, recommendations are a, a good thing of people who've actually done the course. I think yeah. a mistake that people make is they ask for recommendations and then in a Facebook group or something, and then a, a bunch of people jump in saying, oh, I've heard so-and-so's course is good, but they yeah. haven't actually done it. Yeah. <laughs> so um, uh, recommendations. Now, the other thing that I do when I do my due diligence on online courses is that they, I go to the testimonials because um, often there are testimonials about the course and I will actually contact a bunch of them and get their first-hand um, opinion. All right. Yeah, and I was about to sign up with this particular guy on um, it's for an artist thing and I contacted mm. two of his three three of his testimonials, one didn't respond, which is fair enough, they, they don't have owe anything to you, and two responded and one said, oh, yeah, that testimonial was actually for something else, but that something else was good. <laughs> and, oh, my God. Yeah, and one responded and actually said, oh, to be honest, I think you'd prefer some, this other person. <laughs> <laughs> so that well, is good. Interesting. I mean, because it's like if they're mm. super expensive, then you don't want to be investing all this money and then find out that it what just wasn't for you. you yeah, know? yeah. And I, I, there was one other one. It wasn't a course, but it was a product, an online product, um, where and this was a long time ago. I, I, um, you know, some years ago when the product was still new. So everyone's got to start somewhere, I suppose. But there were seventeen testimonials on the the website. I contacted or I researched, I didn't necessarily contact, I researched all 17 and discovered they did not use the product. What? Mm-hmm. I know. Wow. <laughs> I can, yeah, offline tell you the actual product. I mean, it's, it's a real product. Yeah, right. But, um, yeah, and, and I can tell you how I have discovered they didn't use the actual product. But, but yeah, that was wow. interesting. So I guess the... Uh, do some research is my point. Yeah, do your research. All right. So um, next, Val, yeah, mentors. Oh, and yeah, I think so mentors good. are absolutely worth their weight in absolutely. gold. I have been very, very lucky in my life to have uh, several amazing mentors. And you know what? It's not... Um, it, yes, I learned great skills from them, but the really good ones give you the skills. They also give you the confidence, that yeah. self-belief. That, to me, is what makes a good mentor. They inspire you. Now, this could be a friend 
who's a couple of uh, a year or two ahead of you on, in their uh, photography journey, or it can be a professional who's got like you know ten, twenty, or thirty years of experience, and their their skills are going to vary. And and so I think it's a good idea that you don't um, put all your eggs in one basket and just have one mentor. Oh, I think yeah. it's a great idea to have lots and lots of different mentors. And I know your your big on mentoring and I think what happens with a mentor when you find a good one is they speed up the whole process Absolutely. of learning because it's like you know they they can say All right well when I did this here's what I did wrong and here's what I discovered is the best way uh, to do this or you know just having someone that I can uh, call and say you know and that's why it's a really good idea if you're an assistant if you've got the opportunity to assist a photographer or you know any professional photographers in the industry that you can actually have the ability to call on them and say all right I'm quoting this job. This is the company that I'm quoting for. This is what I'm thinking. And they'll go, th th then they'll be able to advise you or they'll say, all right, well, I think the way you've structured the quote could be better or you could try this. And I would recommend that you use this lighting for these reasons and, and then list all those reasons because they've got that experience and they'll tell you things that you had no idea or ever, you know, thought of. So, um, you can find mentors like they can present themselves or you might find them in your, um, you know, your friendship circle or your social media circle and it might be just happened that you uh, know photographers so you might um, – Again, it's that that idea of value add. Have you got any tips on finding mentors, Val? What, yeah. what have you done in the past? My tips are that it's like dating <laughs> in that yes. not every mentor is going to be the right fit and that's okay. Don't get upset about it. Don't think that they're crappy mentors because they might be the perfect mentor for someone else. And sometimes yep. you've got to kiss a few frogs before you get the right yeah. fit, you know, um, as you know, Gina, before I yes. met you, I've done photography courses, as yeah. I've already explained, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, uh, workshops and stuff like that. And now I was fortunate enough to meet you and you've been an incredible mentor in terms of my photography. In terms of, say, um, my art as in my painting, which has yes. been far more recent uh, in the last couple of years, I've, I've done, it's exactly the same. I've actually gone yeah. through a couple of different mentors before landing on, oh, my goodness, this is what it's meant to be like, right? Yeah. Yeah, right. And so the other ones were fine, nothing wrong with them at all or anything like that, but it just I, it just wasn't quite the right fit. And um, yeah. and and what's interesting is that uh, sometimes you think, oh well, you should pay, you know, the more you pay, the yeah. the better the mentor. So yeah. the first mentor I got was an incredible amount of money. Um, <laughs> and they were lovely, fine, and all of that. The second one was still a lot of money. Um not as much as the first one and they were fine but you know I I I I advanced a little bit with both of them but not you know leaps and bounds and now I found found one which is not a lot of not that kind of money not a lot of money and I think I've advanced more in two weeks than I had done in you know two years kind of thing that's probably and a what's slight the exaggeration is it it, what is it? Is it like a personality thing? Are they do, do they speak differently? Is it just like finding that that person that speaks in the language that you understand? What's the difference that you think? It, it's not so much the language because I communicated perfectly well with the other two. Um, they were great communicators, um, but it was just more that this current mentor really understands where I'm at. And or or, or 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 more so the the content you know that she has is just exactly the right fit of where I'm at. So right. it's not necessarily that the others weren't good or whatever they like. I said they could be the perfect mentor for someone else, right? Yep. Um, they it's just that the my current one has met me at the exact right place. Yeah, right. And um, it's been, you know, really, really powerful as a result. But I don't begrudge the fact that I went through the other ones because maybe I had to discover them to, or I, sorry, experience them before I discovered this person. I don't know. And 
I guess that helps you appreciate what you have now. Yeah. Because you saw what, yes, yeah, yeah, that's interesting. That's that's fantastic. All right. So the other way, and these are all free, is podcasts, YouTube, uh, and online photo groups. All right. So my advice is these can be fantastic when you find the ones, and it's exactly the same thing. They speak in a language that you you understand. It, the way they they present the information is interesting to to you. It's engaging to you. And but what you like. Uh, listening to or watching or being a part of a group, the culture of the group uh, might suit you. It might not suit someone else. So, again, it's the same as finding mentors. You've got to try a few on. And and it's like sometimes like when podcasts are recommended, you try it for the first time and you go, oh, I'm not sure. And then but it might take a few goes and then you go, all right, I, I really enjoy this podcast now or this particular YouTube presenter. But what I want you to think about when you're looking at um, these sorts of the, all the free stuff that's out there is just because something's popular doesn't necessarily mean it's the best. So oh, if you're yeah. looking on YouTube and when you say you Google, uh, you know, how to how to light a product and the, 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 the top one that will come up will be the one that's had the most views, okay? Now, it could be great but not necessarily. And so what I found when I'm doing uh, um, research on YouTube, and it might be how to change the battery on my Vespa valve. Mm-hmm. I might find the most popular one and I go, I don't, I don't understand anything they're saying. So I'll go mm. down the list and I might find one poor guy that's had seven views and it happens to be the best, the really well-explained, great diagrams, and it just made sense to me. So when you're searching around, uh, for these, uh, particularly with podcasts and YouTube, is to um, don't you don't necessarily go to the first one, the most popular, not necessarily the best. Mm. And in terms of photo groups that you want to be a part of, uh, join, sit back, watch, and watch, and be aware of the culture because it might not suit your personality. Mm. Uh, where you know some some photo groups is uh, the sport is just piling on. The critiques are, mm. are really um, unfair and you everyone ends up, you know, being scared to post and it's not really encouraging and inviting. So you might like that blood sport and enjoy that sort of culture. It might suit you. And also what are the photographs that people are sharing in those groups um, and, and, and are they the sort of photographs that you enjoy looking at? And so it's the culture of the group is really important. So, again, just doing um, finding the um, the specialists and you can be really lucky uh, in YouTube and podcast. You can find someone who is actually at their A game and they're just generous enough to share that information. So it's not you, – you're not going to go uh, – but because there's also people out there that are sharing information and it's just general information. So, yes, they're a photographer. They might specialize in landscape photography, but they're also sharing uh, how to edit um, portraits and things like that, but it's not their genre. It's like going to a dentist to get open heart surgery. You wouldn't do it, right? So, you want to you want to find the specialist. And if you dig, dig, dig deep, you can find these uh, amazing, there's lots of amazing people on, on the web. So, um, Photo critiques, Val, I think, and getting feedback is one of the fastest ways to improve your photography. So um, this can be difficult for some people to do because they feel insecure, but when you find the right nurturing person to do it for you, it can be fantastic. And I, this is how I fast-tracked my photography, the time I spent with some mentors who would look at my photography and say, okay, you've done a really good job here. Have you thought about trying this and trying, and, and I did everything that they suggested to me and it wasn't until um, many many years later that these the photographers said to me we've given that advice to we can't tell you how many photographers we've given the same advice you're the only person that listens so I guess um, 
you know, that's that, and, and I've seen it in the gold community, I've seen it in the Facebook group that the people who are regularly putting their work forward for critiquing and taking that information and, and working on that are the ones that are developing their work a lot faster than the ones that are just hanging back. So I think it's uh, uh, super, super important to do that. All right, so uh, you got any um, comments on that, Val? No, no, that's pretty good. Okay, so I just want to finish off on um, you want to optimize the education experience. So um, as you're going through uh, and you you might start out and and then pick up how to shoot in manual mode and then learn lighting to a point, a lot of of photographers, a lot of creatives will get to a point where they're just proficient enough to get by and they stop. And I think... um, I think this is a mistake. I think it's really important to always be the student, always be curious and always find ways to test yourself and to push yourself and experiment and be better. So you want to seek out, um, constantly be seeking out constructive critiques of your work and how can I do that better? And you're always asking yourself when you're looking at your work, all right, I got this right. And it's like you want to be speaking to yourself in a way that you would be speaking to your best friend. So it's no point just berating yourself when you, oh, I really mucked that up. I'm an idiot. That's not, that's not helpful. It's looking at your work and saying, all right, good for me. I managed to get this, this shot under extreme pressure. How can I improve that? And so it's looking at constantly ways that you can keep improving, keep getting better because the learning never ends. It's, it's, it's a, a lifelong thing. So yeah, that's it, Val. Hopefully that uh, helps people sort of uh, get their head around the different ways that you can learn uh, photography and become a better photographer. So many different options. Yeah. Wonderful. All right. So um, that brings us to the end of this week's episode. What are you doing in the coming week? All right, so I've got a big shoot tomorrow and then um, I've got the Ask Me Anything with the Goldies this week, so that'll be exciting. And then hopefully I can get in and watch um, some of that Lux listing. (laughs) What is it? Lux Lux listings. And uh, guess what I've been watching, binging while I've been editing, Val? Absolutely fabulous. Oh, yeah, great from, show. from the 90s. Mm. Uh, I've had a real sort of um, re- retro vibe going on you with have. all my uh, TV watching yeah. and it's uh, that's been fun and interesting to, to watch. What about you? What are you doing? Actually, I'm about lockdown. to do some photography <laughs> because I finally have, because I've moved recently, a place that is an almost ideal setup for taking photos of my art. So I'm I'm looking at it now. now. I've got the easel up. I've got the tripod, the camera, everything, and it's working out well. It's working out well. Very, very good. So I'm doing some shooting this afternoon. Fantastic. All right. Where do we find you online, Gina? Find me at ginamilitia.com. That's G-I-N-A-M-I-L-I-C-I-A. I'm at Gina Militia on all social media. And if you want to take your photography to the next level, I'd love the opportunity to work with you. You can check out the gold community. Just go to ginamilitia.com and click on, what is it, Membership. <laughs> That's it, memberships. <laughs> Thank you. What about you? Um, you'll find me at Valerie Koo. That's K-H-O-O on Twitter and Instagram and over at ValerieKoo.com. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Photographer. For more information, free resources, and Gina's regular newsletter on everything you need to know to become a successful photographer, visit ginamilitia.com.